You're listening to the Carry on Friends podcast, episode 43. Welcome to the Carry on Friends podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community with your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hello, everyone. This is Carrie Ann. Welcome to another episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. As always, I'm excited that you're listening. Today's guest is Candace Thompson. She is a dance and fitness entrepreneur, and she goes into her um, experiences as a entrepreneur in that space. And um, one thing I did realize you were talking throughout the interview and she mentioned Wyadka. And around the time we recorded the interview was the lead up to Labor Day. And Wyadka is the organization that puts on the Labor Day parade here in New York City. There's a lot of events that lead up to the parade, the final parade on Monday, um, Labor Day Monday. There's usually Kitty's Carnival, different events and concerts and a whole bunch of other things that lead up to the event. So she was volunteering or she was doing stage management. She was doing a lot of things leading up to that. And so I apologize for not explaining that throughout the episode, but that is when she refers to Wyatka and running and performing or me saying that she has to go is because, you know, there are different things going on and she's off and running. But I'm excited that you are listening to this episode because then, you know, we we don't want to have the impression that, you know, one form of entrepreneurship is better than the other. Everyone has its have their place in the entrepreneurship ecosystem and being a cultural entrepreneur, a creative performing entrepreneur is so important to the preservation of culture because while we no longer tell stories, you know, um you know, oral stories, you know, grandma telling grandkid and stories carry down, this is the way that or history and our culture will survive through the performing arts and through these other areas. So really excited that she's on and I'm glad that you're listening and I hope that this inspires you to support, you know, entrepreneurs who go and make it their life's work and mission to create art and to preserve art and culture. So Without further ado, here's my interview with Candice. I'm excited about my guest today, Candice Thompson of Dance Caribbean Collective and Candice Dance Fitness. Candice, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to be here. Um, you know, I follow the podcast as well, so I'm happy to be on it. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. So if unless you, you know, for those who can't pick up the accent, tell everyone which country you're representing. Big up Trinidad and Tobago, of course, CTNT. Trini, that and Tobago, of course. All right, that was my best Trini accent. I know. Not too bad. All right, so why don't you tell the audience, you know, about you and you know both initiatives that you have, so we could get a you know better idea of you know what you got going on. Okay, so, so I'll start with Candice Dance Fitness. So primarily, I'm a dancer, personal trainer, fitness instructor, and then I also teach um, dance and movement in after-school programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Candice Dance and Fitness is mainly where I channel like any fitness teaching or personal training clients 
um, like the way that I organize all of that is kind of stance and fitness. So it's like um, an amalgamation of all of my skills in movement and fitness training that mm-hmm. I put together there. And Dance Caribbean Collective is is newer. We started it about two years ago, and it's an organization that seeks to bring together Caribbean dancers and choreographers mm-hmm. or people who make work about the Caribbean mm-hmm. um, and giving us a platform so that our work could get more visibility. So we produce events, performances, we host workshops, um, and we our aim is really to try to get our work to reach the community so that they could see, you know, large-scale productions that represent who they are. Just as people go to see Alvin Ailey or Camille Brown or the ballet, we want people to know that there are stage performances in dance that um, focus on Caribbean issues and stories. Okay. So, you know, I, there's so much that you just said there, but the thing that stuck out to me, you know, you said more visibility. Why is there not enough visibility? Visibility. Um, why do you think that is that Caribbean dancers, choreographers or whatever? Is it the type of dance you do? Because some people might say, well, we see everybody dancing, dance all and soca. What exactly isn't visible? Right. Um, I think that, you know, there's dance is so much a part of our culture, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we people have parties, they dance in the living room and then you know, people put up all these soca videos and music videos. Like those are the kinds of things that are like circulated in mainstream, like Caribbean consumption of um, entertainment, right? Right. Um, whereas a lot of the choreographers that are in the collective, we do more contemporary or modern based work that has a Caribbean influence, uh, tells a Caribbean narrative, is influenced by our Caribbean backgrounds. And, you know, that's, again, talking about, you know, companies like Avenelli, like New York City Ballet, like big, large-scale productions, you know, like when you send your kids to go and take back modern and jazz class, right? And the big recital at the end, like, this is our big recital, but except that, you know, we're professionals that are doing this. Um, But there isn't, like, I guess, a cultural narrative behind that. So it's sometimes hard to explain to people exactly what we do and why we do it, and then for us to also get that... um, we're not a part of a larger story yet. So it's like people are, I keep having to explain like, you know, exactly what I do, why I do it, you know, how we do it. Um, And getting the word out, I feel like with things that aren't parties or aren't big fets, it's harder to sell to Caribbean audience. But if they know, people are excited. But it's just how do you get the message out? Right, right. I mean, I definitely understand because we talk about it, even with the the podcast and, you know, different things, as you are familiar with Michaela and myself, you know, and other bloggers. It's almost as if if it's not a fet and if it's not some comedian or something and nothing is wrong with them. It's just usually very harder to get the, the, the audience or, or people as excited about it. So I definitely understand. Why did you create the collective and, you know, how do you make it a business and have it thrive, you know, given that, you know, support may not be at the level you want it. So was it started as a collective? So, you know, your individual efforts could be balled into one so you can continue to grow the movement? Uh, Yes and no. So we started how would me having the idea bouncing it around off a few people and people being excited and interested and we we ha- I had a meeting with maybe like 10 or so of my colleagues or other people that I knew uh, and we talked about you know things that were we felt that were working against us in the field and uh, the idea was, again, so if we were united, then uh, we could, our work could go further if we're all working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the business side of things, you know, our main event is something called New Traditions 
festival, which is a dance festival, and we present Caribbean choreographers uh, for two days. Right. And it's, you know, if anyone knows about producing stage shows, stage events, concert dance works, it's expensive. So part of the business model then becomes fundraising. So we spend, uh, a, you know, a large chunk of the season raising money. So we're writing grants, we're doing crowdfunding, we're doing uh, workshops to uh, earn, it, earn income, we're asking for business sponsorships. So the way that a lot of these things work, especially if there's a large show attached to it, is that fundraising has to happen for the show to, to, to take place. All right. So then the question is, why go into this field of business then if it's so challenging? Because, you know, if we let the general consumption of blogger news, entrepreneurial news, you know, you go into business to make money and you make money, you make money. So why go into to this? Why? do this if you have to go through such a process just to 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 raise money and to make money why why go into this and why is it important that you do this that's a very good question um truly you go into this because you love it yeah it's you know, a lot of us you know the choreographers who are part of the collective we've all gone to dance school we've uh, most of us have degrees in dance We've dreamed or have, you know, experienced careers as dance performers in other companies on some level. Some of us still dance full time. Some of us don't. People are, you know, public school teachers or they teach in after school like I do. So a lot of us have varied um, career choices that aren't only about performing and choreographing. But because we've invested so much time into this craft, we have to show it like there's there's no other way around it. It's like okay. if we're not producing work and showing work, then it's like, you know, part of our life is missing. Yeah. And two, most of us are also really, really passionate about telling the stories of our culture, about yes. where we're from, about our heritage. Like, and, you know, I guess the thing that drove me to really do it was, you know, if we wait for people to give us a chance or to give us, mm. you know, a little 10 minutes in a show or for them to give us the grant so that we could do um, I'll be a part of their thing. You know what I mean? If we always wait for someone's opportunity, it's never going to come in the way that we want it to. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to be bound by their restrictions, their, the way that they see our work, the goals of their particular festival. Mm -hmm. And they may not align with the way that we need to show our work for our culture. Right. So, you know, it's taking ownership of the fact that if this is really important and if we want to be able to tell our stories in our own way, then we have to produce ourselves or else, you know, we're always going to be filtered through somebody else's lens. I absolutely understand that. I, I couldn't have said that better because, you know, it's it's not just from the outside and it's also within, right? You know, mm -hmm. Caribbean people, we have to, sometimes we wait on, you know, other people to do things. And you're like, no, we have to do it ourselves because, yeah. you know, we have a need and, you know, it's almost like as if everyone's looking at each other and, yes. you know, like you started, no, you started, you started, you started. <laughs> somebody has to start it right, right? Yeah. and it's important to create the platform because and then once you started everybody watching and waiting we said hmm we're not gonna do nothing yet because we don't know if they're gonna last or something mm. so you yes. kind of have to prove yourself so i yes. you'll you go through these motions but you do it because of love of culture because you know one of the things that i've been realizing from you know just different projects i've been working on a common theme or thread that i've been seeing is cultural survival i really feel like we're yeah. fighting for survival 
survival. Yes. And not in a way that it's dying because, you know, let's talk about Drake. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Rihanna. They, they call Drake a culture vulture. I disagree. Drake has just been very influenced by us to the point where people think it's a Drakeism, where it's a Jamaicanism, yes. you know, or, and it's not to say that we're selfish. It's just that our culture is, is so mainstream and so sheer that people no longer realize that this where is Jamaican language. This yep. is from Trinidad or this is from Guyana. No one no is like the origin is lost. Mm-hmm. And that is what I feel like. It's a, it's, it's a survival thing, right? So I really appreciate what you're doing. So then my next question is, how is the next generation coming up? Because you are doing this taking over from a generation that was probably stronger. You know, in Jamaica, we had... Um, Rex Nettleforth and mm-hmm. and 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 so you know you are the next generation you know after yeah. him because yeah. you know I don't know of anything else so what about the the generation after that is is it there what's happening because again it is about the preservation of culture and that drives the the business industry so how is that working or looking yeah that's a very good question and it's I feel like things are surviving in in different ways. Like for instance, I've been as I said, I was stage managing for the Wyadka events for the last few days. What happened yesterday was something called the Stay in School concert, mm-hmm. and they let school groups, um, dance groups perform. And you know there were a lot of dance groups that I saw perform that I had never heard of, and most of them were playing had soca, you know, choreographies. Mm-hmm. Had, you know what I mean? So I feel like there is interest, obviously, among the the younger generation mm-hmm. to do things that are responding to you know like our music but in terms of them going back to you know think about where it's coming from i don't know if that's happening because right. you know, like they i think that young people are really really creative if you leave them alone right mm-hmm. so they'll be like oh i'll make up my own routine i want to do this i want to do that but in terms of them knowing uh the legacy that they're coming from or they're riding on i i feel like some of that information is lost, lost yeah but i taught a workshop at a friend so part of new traditions festival we worked with a few schools uh mm-hmm. to get rehearsal space and in exchange we offered a workshop based on the work that we were doing the dances that we were doing mm-hmm. uh, so i did one on soca contemporary movement and so i'm talking to them about soca and i was like oh so do you all know what calypso is and nobody in the room knew what calypso was mm-hmm. and these are high school kids yeah yeah <laughs> you know what was interesting though to us it's surprising right so i appear on a show sip and chat and apparently in jamaica we have school challenge quiz and one of the schools one of the questions on school challenge quiz was where was dance all our reggae started and in jamaica candace somebody said trinidad and tobago i like Hello. was like what in the world is happening? Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. what you just said can also confirmed a prior conversation that I had with Andrew Clark of Brata Productions. Okay. And mm-hmm. he went to Africa years ago and he was singing um, this song um, that I knew from primary school. And it's a song that we used to play with Stones and uh, Manuel Road. Manuel Road, right? Mm-hmm. And so the kids there was like, no, that's not how the song go. They only know the TOK version uh, of yes. that song. Uh, right. Right. They didn't know the Manuel Road song, where it came from, and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really interesting, and it's just like, wow. I, I really applaud and commend you, Andrew. There's a few other people um, that are, are also in the space. Obviously, Shelly Worrell, Caribbean, and, you know, a 
lot of other people who really have their work cut out for them. But it's but for people like me, I find it really, really valuable. And it's a matter of how do we get the message out that it's it's viable. Um, But also that there is money to be made from our culture, because quite quite honestly, everyone else is profiting from our culture. So why can't we? Mm-hmm. So so what are your thoughts on this, the business of Caribbean culture being mainstream and its appropriation or misappropriation, whichever way you'd like to spin it? How, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what do you think we should do or the industry should grow? Because it's obviously in an infancy on the Caribbean side, on the mainstream side is a matter of who can do the dance better and say, Mm-hmm. like a patsu and it don't sound too hard right i don't know i have so many thoughts about that that you know you talk about uh drake and all this and i you know i'm thinking about the gram the, the grammys the vmas where like three or four of the artists all sample dance off yeah um and you know and for some of us you know we're so excited like oh and then you know rihanna did this whole scene and it was amazing but at the same time like beyonce's part of Beyonce's thing and she drops this um dance hall sample and i'm yes. just like really beyonce you need to do it too yeah. Um, you know, it's like where I feel like we're the cool kids right now. Yeah. And, you know, in a way it's it makes you feel proud. You're like, Oh yeah, that's my thing. But it's like who is the person that I whose story is similar to mine that gets to benefit. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, like Rihanna, we happy for Brianna. Cause we know she's from Barbados. She never like forgot where she's from, always bringing up Barbados. But you know, for the other folks who are obviously making money off of this. And, you know, supposedly they're saying that they pay the people like, you know, Beanie Man came out and said that he got paid for the sample that he did that Drake borrowed from him. So he don't understand why Vegas vex. And, you know, like so people behind the scenes are getting paid. But what happens is that the story, as you were saying before, like who gets written down in the history books for starting the trend? Right. And then you get these new things that um, 10, 20 years from now, people going to be like, yeah, Drake was so iconic, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, where did it really come from? Um, but in terms of, I guess, us benefiting it's and this is where like I get torn because basically the way that we benefit is figuring out how do we teach the inherent um cultural nuances of these forms in a way that a non-local audience can understand and glean value from so it's like we have to figure out exactly what the the heart of what the thing is or so heart the heart of the dance step what's inspiring it the heart of the soca step what's inspiring it and then format it in a way that the general public can consume mm-hmm. and in the in the process figure out how we can also benefit from it because you know all that whole process takes work it's like you doing research you um finding the right music you you know planning your class like all of that takes a lot a lot of work that people don't realize because it looks so easy and we're having fun and you know so it's it's about figuring out basically what the the cultural product is and then setting up a model that can um, support it financially. I I can honestly say that, you know, for you doing this business and the others in this field, it's so needed because, you know, as you mature, you want different types of forms of entertainment. And and so that's the value. Going back a little bit, now that you're in the space, you you recognize the challenge in the space. What's one thing you wish you knew before you got into this business? You probably said them already, but you know, what's one thing? that you wish you knew before you started whether it's the the collective or the dance fitness yeah hmm. that's a good question um i would say that i think because 
the thing that I'm the things that I'm trying to do, especially with Dance Caribbean Collective, are I feel like they haven't necessarily been done in this way and not through our cultural lens. Mm-hmm. And at least not in my generation. So I felt like there was no real rubric for me to follow. Mm-hmm. But I think I wish that I knew that even if I had people behind me and supporting me, mm-hmm. that there are just so many pieces that move at the same time. And so that maybe if at starting smaller is probably more wise. Wow. Yeah. Even if, you know, there is something to be gained from, you know, that's like deciding to do a large scale and figuring it out, which is what, you know, I've done. But I think I wish that I knew that starting smaller doesn't necessarily mean that you're not gaining the momentum that you think you are. I love that. Yeah, when you start big, it's just that there's, it seems simple, but there are just so many moving parts that happen at one time. Um, There's a lot of value in starting very small. You're able to make mistakes. No one sees it as much as if you're bigger, Mm -hmm. you know, all these little things. So yeah, totally get this. So you you spoke about the challenge with getting the audience on board. So how do you stay motivated when, you know, because business, every business has its ebbs and, you know, flows and, you know, things aren't always busy, busy, busy. So what, what do you do to stay motivated and inspired when things are not as busy? It's not your busy season. I have struggled with this, especially since, you know, I'm still, I feel like I'm still on the, the uptake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, right, you know, getting to the top of the mountain, like struggling like I'm not where I want to be so uh, a lot of it is new but I what I've had to do is I feel like just sometimes just dive into the heart of my culture Mm -hmm. and some and sometimes outside of you know like I'm primarily a dance person so it's like you know dropping myself into something totally different something where I don't know so much Mm -hmm. but it's still culturally you know stimulating Right. Um, so, you know, maybe it's reading a book by a Caribbean author. Uh, maybe it's listening to your podcast. Aww. Uh, maybe it's, you know, taking a trip home and laying on my mom's couch for two days and talking to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's like, you know, me volunteering for the Wyatka events. Uh, you know, just things that take me out of my, not, I wouldn't say comfort zone, but out of the realm of what I do with like, as my life, um, are the things that I do to replenish. Cause if right. I feel like if I stay focused on only the things that I'm in charge of, that I, I get depleted really quickly. Yeah. And there's a value in the pause, you know, the pause to reconnect, because even in the things that you said you did, those are, those are inherently things that are part of the culture and it, it allows you to fall in love again because I find that when I keep pushing pushing going 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 sometimes you're like I I don't want to do this anymore I'm so tired but it's like reconnecting with that why why you started the collective and the fitness and it's not in an indirect way not very directly like why did I do this but you know the times with grandma and stuff like my relationship with my grandmother is is part of why I'm an entrepreneur because they were always doing they always had a business you know but they didn't say I have a business they just had to they it was survival so Mm -hmm. you know they they had to do it so I I totally totally get that so all right what's the best piece of advice you've ever received whether it was you know starting any of your business or personal life that you find that you feel like would be valuable to someone listening I would say I don't know if this was advice but this is just like the way that I was raised my my mother's always big on saying thank you Mm -hmm. 
So like expressing gratitude, uh, even for little things. So like growing up, we would always like uh, have give presents to my teachers at the end of the term. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody helped me on a project and I did well, she, you know, send them a card or something. So I guess growing up, like saying thank you and being gracious was a really, really big deal in my household. And I feel like it's helped me to maintain relationships and, and make people open to helping you more. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I've also, you know, being around doing these kinds of things, I've seen how it works on the other side when you, you extend yourself to people and then they just sort of like walk away, forget you. You know what I mean? Right. So I would say just being, yeah, just having gratitude. I want to just pivot a little bit going back. I, I mm-hmm. if What do you say to the person who decides that I really love my culture and, you know, whether it's dance or whether it's, you know, some other kind of creative performing art, singing something. And I want to, I, I love my culture so much that I want to start my own business as it <laughs> pertains to being a cultural, on, uh, cultural entrepreneur. What do you say to that person? Gotcha. Yeah. I'd say, well, they need a team. Mm. Honestly, even if it's not like people who are working for them, but they need people who are like-minded around them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you need friends who you could bounce ideas off of, friends who are also, you know, entrepreneurs that you could be like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about this thing. What do you think? And then they'll be like, oh, well, you know, that sounds good. But, you know, you should check out this resource. They might be able to, you know, give you a few pointers on what you should do next. Mm -hmm. So I would say just have people around you that you trust to just, you know, be your sounding boards. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also people who are as motivated as you, who can, you know, keep you on your path, but that are also um, gaining, seeking and gaining that kind of entrepreneurial information. Because that's, I feel like that's literally been the way that I've been able to do a lot of the things that I've done is because of the people that are surrounding me and that I'm around. Right. You know, um, a couple episodes ago I did with Paul Brunson and every time I have these conversations it comes up it's it's the connections that you have and the value of the people who you constantly communicate with um where you said you know you encourage them to have entrepreneurial friends because you're leveraging their network and the knowledge from their network yeah you know through them to in order to 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 be a, a cult a, a cultural or a creative entrepreneur because if we if if we watch tv or we read a lot of everything else you know it's it's not you know it's easy to see why people don't do this because it's not the fast easy way to make money if it's not yeah. a hollywood blockbuster thing but it does have its value and it's that the value is you know you do it out of sheer love and then it's a matter of scaling for success so you already said start small which is key i would also say one more thing about mm-hmm. that um i would say also you know putting yourself with you know like interning working under someone else who's working in a similar way because i did um probably the first out of out of college probably my first six years seven maybe I've worked as an assistant as a coordinator as a you know what I mean um administrative assistant to a few people who were choreographers dancers teachers and I was able to learn a lot from working under them do you know what I mean so like they made all the decisions they came up with the concept I was just the one you know trying to like get logistically make all the things happen but you know, being in that position where my job was just to like do, but I could learn and see how things worked. Right. 
Um, so I would say just putting yourself in a position where you could learn, even if it's, you know. No, but that's a good point because for every business, there is an administrative back end point and then there is the, the product or the service that you're delivering. And, you know, what you did was smart in terms of understanding what it took administratively to get your product or service out to people. So yes, that is good. Experience doesn't always mean in doing the actual work. It could also be about seeing how the the work is done, the business behind the work is done. So I thought, I, I think that's, that was very smart. Is it easier to, to collaborate with someone as opposed, especially since that, since we know, since you said that this cultural entrepreneurship is, um, is challenging. Is it easier to collaborate with someone else that already has something in place or that is within the culture versus starting something new? I'm asking since you said that, you know, it's really hard. So the collective is started just to kind of pull your efforts together. So if someone is looking to get into this, should they look to join a collective first before trying to start up a whole new thing? Right. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. It, it depends. Yeah. Um, I feel, I mean, I'm, I'm big on partnerships. So, you know, I do, we, we've done a few collaborative events, but, you know, I work closely with other organizations, even if we don't necessarily program things together. Mm-hmm. The thing with, you know, collectives and partnerships is that they take a lot of time because you need to be on the same page with the person. Your goals need to match up. Um, you need to have the same sort of values or else it doesn't work really. Mm-hmm. So because, but because it is so hard, and because um, there's so much work that has to go into these events that don't necessarily financially make back the, the effort and the time that you put into them, mm-hmm. um, collaborating is an easier way, in theory, to to get some of these things done. Mm-hmm. But it, it takes that other side of, of you know, seeing eye to eye. So in theory, it is easier, but only if those, I feel like those values and those uh, bonds and relationships are in place. Absolutely. I do a lot of collaboration because, you know, um, one on can clap, as we say in Jamaica, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you know, pooling efforts and, you know, it, it gives a, a bigger impact and, and it just, it, it just helps, you know, being an entrepreneur is a lonely place at times. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you're really, especially like we said before, you know, it's not the sexy, you you know, thing and it's not party and stuff. It's like, it's not something people readily gravitate to. It's, it, it takes time. So having the support of like-minded individuals, you know, really helps. All right. I'm going to move into some fun questions. Okay. So if you were to have a superpower, which superpower do you wish you had and why? I wish that I didn't think all of my thoughts at the same time. I, I don't know if that's a superpower, but I think I feel like maybe I wish that I, I had narrower vision. You know what I mean? Like the the you know the blinkers on, or maybe if the, maybe the superpower would then be being able to hone in on one stream of consciousness. No, I, I, no. All right. <laughs> so we're going to change that, people. We're not. She she don't want to be one thing. I, I tell you the superpower you want, right? I'm gonna tell you the superpower <laughs> that you want. So. Have you ever watched Harry Potter? Uh, here and there. I don't think I've ever seen an, an okay. entire movie, but I've seen some of it. Yes. So there's this thing in Harry Potter where Dumbledore, the professor, he could use his wand and take all his thoughts out and put it in a bowl. Oh, Lord. Yes. Right. So you want to take out all these thoughts that are like clogging your brain, put them in a bowl and focus on the one you want. But your exactly. thoughts are still there. You mm-hmm. just want to. <laughs> yep. That's want... exactly the one. You want to be able to see them because I get it. Like. You know, when you are, when you're, 
an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, whatever you want to call yourself, you have so many competing ideas and thoughts and you feel like you're all over the place and your focus is like split and you're like, I just want to focus on one thing and do it. But it's just that that creative um juice that's going and because you know you have limited resource to execute you have to try to figure out which one it is so yeah man you want the pensive from the the harry potter series so you can't just now i know yes (laughs) put everything out so yes her so she wished she had the dumbledore superpower to just pull pull all of her thoughts and memories or whatever into a bowl and just pick out the ones she wants to focus on Yep. Uh, yes, I, I said that all the time. Um, actually, at work, my coworkers, they're like, uh, Carrie Ann, you got too many tabs open. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> right, the telltale sign. Yes, too many tabs open. Not, not only physical computer tabs, but mental tabs. They see it all oh. the time. It's like my brain is like going. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely. That's how they tell you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cute. That's all cool. right. So, you, you mentioned earlier that you read books by your favorite Caribbean author. Who is your favorite Caribbean author? Um, the book that I'm reading right now, hold on, where is it? I'm trying to find it. I'm reading like three books at once. Yeah, but me too. <laughs> I'm reading Make a Movie. Uh, it's just a movie. It's a Trinidadian author and his name is slipping my mind right now. You have to tell me because I love, that, that was one of the things, My the f- early versions of the blog, I read a lot of books. I still read a lot of books by Caribbean authors. It's so important to me. And I was very, very excited to meet my favorite Trinidadian author. Her name is Elizabeth Nunez. And her book um, that came out the other day, Even in Paradise, I absolutely love it. And she's just a really great great author um she used to teach at mega ever she now teaches at hunter college so i definitely you know i'll look up the title of the book but what was it called again i just found it ah earl loveless oh okay yes yes i know mr loveless it's just a movie so that i'm like uh a third through that one awesome and then a reading which is sort of a i guess this is technically still work uh caribbean dance from abukua to zook uh, edited by a woman named Susanna Sloot. So it's a bunch of um, essays on traditional dance forms from the Caribbean. So that's those are the two. All right. I, I know that I don't want to keep you any longer because I know it's the busy weekend. Um, so any final word um, to our community of friends before we go on being a creative or performing arts entrepreneur or just anything in general in culture? Any? I think my final thoughts are that... <laughs> The things that we enjoy about our culture, um, we I feel like most of us should question ourselves about what we're giving back to it. Especially, you know, like people like me, like it's in, sort of inherent, right? Because we're performers. But, mm-hmm. you know, the average Joe that has a regular job and just comes home and, you know, consumes or lives this culture. It's like the things that you're enjoying, um, what can you do to keep it going? Right. I feel like that's, that's a good question for our audience. <laughs> what can we do to keep it going? Yes. And it's supporting the events. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely make sure that we get your information on your social channels and all that, you know, in the show notes. But, you know, and we didn't even share that. But before we go, just share where, you know, people can find you, your website, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, so my website is CandiceDanceFitness.com. 
Candice was spelled with an E, and DanceCaribbeanCollective.com. So, you know, Candice Dance and Fitness is all about me and my performing and my personal training and if you want to hire me. Yeah. Uh, Dance Caribbean Collective has um, the sort of the programs that we're interested in and about the events that we've produced. And uh, on Instagram, I'm Can Dance Fit and Dance Caribbean Collective. And I also have another Instagram called Contempo Carib where I post um, dance photos mainly. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Candice, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure, and I'm so excited. I'm hoping that you have a fabulous rest of this long weekend. And um, as always, you know, walk good. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com or Find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.